Hi, Bill. How are you doing today? Robin, it's hot out there. How are you doing today? It's hot over here. I am a sweaty, red-faced mess, and it feels oh. like I've just come out of the swimming pool. But hey, it's the British summertime! There you go. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, let, let's just jump straight into it. What yeah, do you have do. for us today? You know, Robin, we had somebody reach out to us because they had a request. And I love the fact that somebody did that because, number one, it means they're they're keeping an eye on the things that we share. But number two, there's real interest in them seeing us deep dive a little bit on some of these. So we got a request from an individual who wanted to hear a little bit more about some of the attacks that are taking mm -hmm. place in state, local, and educational institutions, what everybody likes to call SLED. So I thought maybe we'd talk about that a little bit today. That sounds good. That sounds good. Viewer submissions are always welcomed. We don't have a hotline yet. Maybe we'll have right. a call in in the future. We're going to. Yeah. Well, I was we'll, going to we'll hand that out, Robin, but you, 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 <laughs> you, know, you slapped my hand on that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, be careful what you share on the internet. <laughs> That's true. Good point. Good okay. Point. So let's talk about SLED. Are we talking Santa's sleigh or are we talking more? <laughs> right. Now, so there has been, and, and we've really seen this since about 2021, just an escalating number of attacks, particularly ransomware attacks on state and local governments, as well as academic institutions. So much so that certainly a lot of mutual studies have been done, uh, particularly between the United States and the United Kingdom. And not too terribly long ago, the Federal Bureau of Investigation here in the United States released two documents mm -hmm. that I wanted to bring to everybody's attention because they talk a little bit about the scale of the problem, but more importantly, they talk about ways to mitigate that. So the reports I'm talking about, Robin, are referred to as PINs, FBI PINs. They're private industry notifications. You can mm -hmm. find these freely available on the web. The two documents that I'm going to be sort of working from today are document 2022-0330, so that's the date it was released, March 30 of 2022, as well as 2022-0526, so the May mm -hmm. 26th. The, the one from March had to do with government facilities sector, or GFS as they refer to it, and the one from May refers to academia. So mm -hmm. what do they say? What they indicate was that in, in seeing the rising number of attacks, this is really representing a substantial number of attacks literally within the whole framework of where we see threat actors acting. In fact, they said that academia was, at the time that they did the reports, close to number one, if not number one, for being attacked, and that the GFS sector was number two. So these are two very high-profile targets for threat actors so, so when you say sorry but when you say attack do you mean attacked from the outside in or the inside out because i know a lot of students and academics are crazy curious yeah isn't that funny so it, it comes down to the definition of insider threat robin because we know that insider threats can be both malicious or they can be accidental they can be unknowing now, I think the, the gist of the reports was looking at it from the outside in point of view. But what you'll see as we discuss a little bit further is a lot of these attacks are essentially executed from the inside out, just inadvertently. So, uh, you know, we, we make jokes every so often about what's a good guy, what's a bad guy from time to time. <laughs> but this is, a, again, one of those cases where it's the methodology that's being used that makes this so effective. Now, when we talk about government services, right, 
what what they refer to as GFS or government facility sector, what they noticed, what they pointed out is that it tended to be smaller municipalities that were the, the predominant targets. And probably not surprising to you or me, Robin, is that it, it's due to the fact that these groups uh, that are under attack typically have limited cyber resources, limited cyber budget, right? They just don't have the resources to maybe bolster their security posture that they wait the way that they need to do. Uh, they're understaffed, right? The, mm -hmm. the protections might be outdated. And what the FBI pointed out is that for those reasons and more, these smaller governmental and academic institutions are also least able to recover because they're not running backups. Oh, isn't that amazing? Right. Not so running I, backups I, of data, right? Exactly. Backups of like network links. Well, predominantly backups of data is what they were referring mm. to. And you'll, you'll see that when wow. we get into the recommendations. So, you know, a lot of times we tend to think of backups as, you know, maybe a disaster recovery or a business continuity mm. strategy. Yeah. But we must understand from a governance risk and compliance perspective, that is part and parcel of cybersecurity, mm. particularly when you're talking about ransomware. And we know mm. that there are multiple extortion techniques. In fact, the reports indicate that double extortion is most often what we see in these attacks, meaning they will extort for decryption of the data in place. And if the you know, if the GFS uh, entity or the academic institution refuses to pay, then they further threaten to expose the data on the web, right? Whether Indeed. it's the dark web or, or whatnot. And that's really what they're doing is uh, that, that data that is being compromised, the governmental or the academic institutions don't have backups to, to get back up and running, which re that means, you know, operational downtime. It means mm -hmm. people time to try to recover device costs, network costs. And, and Robin, a lot of the times they're actually paying the ransoms, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they just, they feel that they have no choice. And well, you know, we just talked about this on a, on a recent uh, episode. So uh, <laughs> that those are some of the, the immediate impacts and because they aren't able to recover, they're likely to either pay the ransom or the data just gets exposed in, in double extortion and that data is typically PII data, right? It's it's data on, you know, maybe people who reside in the municipality or, you know, details on court cases or whatnot. There, there is that aspect of compromise, but some of these are literally also resulting in the loss of, for example, camera data or or the ability to operate cameras in mm -hmm. in uh, in. Uh, well, let's just call them jails, right? Uh, yeah. Or doors even being unlocked, things ceasing to work because the data is encrypted. I mean, Robin, it just goes on and on. Uh, and, and when we look specific to academia, it's exposing credentials of students. Why, why do you think they're exposing credentials of students, Robin? Well, if you catch them young, you can manipulate them to do whatever you want. You, you know, can. take the, the modern human traffic slave trade approach of many. Right. Uh, see, unfortunately, the sled verticals, especially academia, is criminally underfunded. It massively go. is. That's so right. the teachers aren't paid enough whatsoever. The environment, they're being told to do a lot with little. And a lot of the time, people are stressed out because dealing with students is a very, very 
trying and testing experience. Sure, you might be stressed out working in a corporate environment, but at least everybody there should know how to act like people. Right. Academia, people are learning to be people whilst going through other stresses. I love that. So this is where you start to see the the drop in budgets for backups. Because right. backup redundancy, you're effectively taking half your operational budget and not getting a functional output. You're Certainly it's not. sat there and you're thinking, do I ever need it? So it's very easy for somebody in a underpaid, underfunded position to think, no, I won't spend half of my budget on some servers and some quantum tape sat in the corner. I'll spend it on advancing and delivering what's needed. Well, right. And, and you know, there's this thought process further that says that if it's in the cloud, I don't need to back it up. Uh, and so that, that <laughs> error in logic means that if I can compromise that cloud, then obviously I have it. But, you know, interestingly, and I, I really want to drill in on what you said concerning people learning to be people, right, in, in mm -hmm. academia. Usually those students may not have had the opportunity to be exposed to cyber good hygiene, right? Mm -hmm. And and so what the FBI indicates is that the, the one of the top uses when those academic credentials are stolen, stolen is credential stuffing. Mm -hmm. So they'll take that information knowing that students probably aren't aware and they will begin credential stuffing across multiple sites, banks, whatever the case may be. And now they're able to drain the bank account. So it, it really mm -hmm. is pretty significant what they can do with this compromised PII information, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're not only able to impersonate, but you can utilize the fact that maybe these individuals aren't as savvy, they're mm -hmm. students, they're learning, and, and begin to do credential stuffing and, and steal from that. And the top three vectors, Robin, that they get in, phishing, mm -hmm. remote desktop, and software vulnerabilities in that order. Mm -hmm. So we're getting in the, just a good old-fashioned way, compromising the human being. So, of course, mm -hmm. the FBI goes on to talk about all these things and then does make their recommendations on how to mitigate. So before we dive forward, since we're all students and learning, what yes. is credential stuffing? That's a great question, Robin. So what credential stuffing is, is if I can get a hold of your username and password, for example, and I do a little bit of open source intelligence to find maybe if you have any personal email addresses that you tend to use, I can then take those email addresses and that password that I was able to compromise and then just start going out to random websites to see if it works there too. Think about maybe going to a social media account. Think about going to bank accounts, right? So that's what credential stuffing is, essentially stealing the credentials and then trying to stuff them in other sites, presuming that the human being tends to reuse passwords in, in different places. <laughs> and boy, we do I'd tend never to find you. Never find you guilty of that, would we, Bill? You would absolutely we? would not, and I'm not going to tell you how <laughs> I keep that from happening either. <laughs> no, that's yeah, great. It's, it's human nature. People have a comfortable password. They will reuse that password multiple places. It's a, a reality of technology. Right. Uh, when I talk to family members, I always say, oh, use a different password for every site. And they go, oh, I can't be bothered. I can't remember it. Right. And they default back to very easy to break passwords. That's so. right. That's right. Or, or they write them on a notepad on their desk somewhere or who knows what they do, right? Which sometimes <laughs> is actually safer than digital. You know, it we've seen uh, we've seen password breaches out there. Uh, we've seen password managers reset API tokens because APIs have been stolen. We've seen uh, even 
hardware type USB wallets being compromised as well. And I'm That's not right. mentioning any vendors because I don't want to be sued. Of course. Uh, but yeah. if anything, now the, the low tech approach of writing a password down and leaving it in a locked box in your bedroom, not in bad. many ways is safer. Not bad. Exactly. Physical security is, is very mm-hmm. important. So it's something you have, something you know, and something you are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> kind, so of, did, kind of. Oh, kind of. <laughs> so what did the FBI recommend? Yeah. So recommendation number one is do not pay the ransom unless you mm-hmm. absolutely have to. But in either case, inform the FBI that, that that's happened. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're trying to gather the intelligence, trying to determine who the threat actors are. But again, don't pay it unless you absolutely have to. And Robin, you know, it, it, it sometimes can be easy for you and I as cybersecurity practitioners to sit here and say, never, never, never pay ransom. And, and mm-hmm. I get that. But you could be potentially talking about utilities. You could yeah. be talking about police departments. You could be talking about any number of these things. And so the truth is there mm-hmm. are organizations that end up paying. In fact, when, when the request came in to us, Robin, to talk about this a little bit, uh, the individual brought up uh, another uh, OEM vendor of, of cybersecurity solutions and said, is it true that they actually help facilitate ransomware payments? Now, listen, I, I don't know if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I, I can conceive of something like that happening. Mm-hmm. But the FBI really tries to make the point, look, really don't do it unless you absolutely have to. But even if you end up having to, there are some things that you you need to uh, to certainly at least consider. Uh, and, and one of those things is that proactive uh, contingency planning. Look, mm-hmm. if you are a safety services organization, you do need to have a plan of how do, how do we communicate? How do we coordinate in the event that everything is compromised, right? The network is down. The computers don't work anymore. How do you coordinate? How do you talk to each other? How, how do those things happen? So be prepared with something like that. But the other part that they talk about extensively is things like patch your systems, uh, mm-hmm. train your people against phishing, enforce strong, unique passwords with multi-factor authentication. You just said it, something you know, something you have, something you are. There could also be something you do and somewhere you are, right? There's any mm-hmm. number of items for multi-factor authentication. Uh, they talk about limiting remote desktop protocol. We just discussed that last time in our LockBit discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. Restricting SMB, right? Server message block, restrict that. Don't leave that wide open. Secure your third-party uh, interconnects. Again, we've already talked about that. Segment your networks. Have, uh, have uh, authentication policies, time-based privilege accounts, mutual TLS, on and on and on. All things that sound very complicated unless you have the opportunity to look at a sassy solution that mm-hmm. can be provided and and really involves a minimal of capital acquisition and a minimum of the number of full-time employees that you need to implement that policy. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a lot. It sounds dreadfully complicated, let alone the recommendation of encrypted backups, which is very important. 
but it sounds very complicated until you realize there is an answer that's available out there. It is an answer that doesn't require a massive capital outlay. And it's an answer that simplifies this complex management of security profile and really makes it very easy for a, a small limited staff to, to implement that policy. So that's Indeed. essentially where they went. That, that is the direction that everybody should head. <laughs> Whether or not the FBI recommends it or not, it life gets absolutely chaotic in the best of the time. And everybody you see has a life as complex as yours, and they're going through so many other things. So when you have to bring up the complexity of technology on top of the complexity of life and have to worry about every single aspect, that's right. fine if you're overfunded and you have a fully stocked department and you can work 10 sure. a.m. to 3 p.m. every day and take Fridays off because you know everything's being done. Right. But the reality in well, academia, for one, is that that's not the case. It might be one or two people running the entire network and security operations, you plus bet. providing help desk support and being janitors and helping move things like porters because you just have to do as much as you can. That's right. So, the simplicity of a single vendor, SASE, would just free them up for as much time as possible. Instead right. of something being a six to eight week implementation project, then you have another three months of fine tuning before you can have something like, I don't know, a data loss policy or a DLP up and running. With a single vendor, SASE, this could be done in a matter of hours. So, That's right. That's right. So the FBI needs SASE. Did the FBI use SASE? Well, that's a good question. I, I, we oh. could probably tell you, but you know what would happen. <laughs> oh, well, I guess there'll be no episode again next week in that case. <laughs> there you go. That's right. In that case. Right. In that case, Bill, thank you for your time today. I've really appreciated it. And thank you, viewer, suggesting that they want to know more about the, the, the realms and wonders of the FBI. Just to reiterate, folks, try not to pay that ransom. Once you pay that ransom once, they're going to come knocking again. It's just like a bully trying to steal your lunch money. Just because you give them the cash on Monday doesn't mean that's done for the week. They know you're going to be a cash cow. So That's right, Robin. Okay. That's right. Until next time, Bill, you stay safe out there. Take care, Robin. <laughs>